0: I'm Toby Kincaid. Let's be honest. Big oil runs the world. Why would someone teach you to fish if they could sell you a fish every day? I mean, why teach a whole community how to fish if they could sell a fish to you every day and everyone in that community every day? You know, this is... Why we have a fossil fuel-powered world. I mean, it, it it really is not a matter of technology, and Machot proved that. You know, 130 years ago. Machot was showing the world how to fish. Machot was teaching the world how to use concentrated solar energy in an industrial way. Machot was pointing out the industrial sun. Now Machaut did everything. I mean, he distilled water. He pumped water. He pasteurized wine. He distilled brandy from wine. Machau powered steam engines. He did incredible things. He was the first to produce ice. He made an ice maker. All of this is out of concentrated solar energy. He's really the modern father of solar energy. He was trying to teach the world how to fish. Now, we have a fossil fuel world because as this was coming into focus, you know, in the 1870s, Machot was, was doing it all. And in the previous decade, in the, in the 1860s, he really set the stage for all of these functions. But Machot had a problem. In 1870, uh, Napoleon III declared, for some reason, war on Prussia. And uh, Prussia promptly invaded France and sacked Paris. So he lost his funding. Uh, also, the Prussians uh, went through seine uh, les where he was, and a very strange thing happened. Uh, his laboratory was completely trashed, but that's not what was strange. A lot of buildings were being trashed at the time. All of his equipment, all of his concentrators, all of his solar-powered steam engines, all of his modeling, all of the paperwork that was involved, disappeared. Now, who took all of Machaut's equipment? Well, Machaut had some enemies. I mean, the, the Prussians were pretty mad at the French, and... Macho was becoming world famous. The whole world was being opened up to this whole notion of a solar-powered world that would have two characteristics, you know, no fuel cost and no toxicity. But the players like uh, Rockefeller, you know, Rockefeller wasn't going to have any of it. He, he wanted everyone to buy petrol. patrol. He wanted to sell you fish, and he wanted to sell you fish every day. So, you know, it had a fuel cost. You paid him. And it had toxicity, who cares? That's the attitude of the day. Now in Machot's country, in France, he had uh, his enemies. There were conflicting interests in the railroads, and the railroads depended on the coal income. Now France had finally reached a, a railroad network which brought them to the Pyrenees and to the, to the outskirts and the frontier, where, where most of the coal they could access was. So finally, they're starting to ship this coal up to Paris and other major centers. And this gave France a big competitive uh, rebound, uh, you know, trying to catch up to the great advantage of the English, who had lots of coal uh, very close to the surface, easy to get. So, so but there was this moment, but when Napoleon III declared war on Prussia in 1870, everything got sacked. So that was a setback. He lost all of his funding. Well, by 1874, he had recovered uh, amazingly, he was beginning to build more machines, and was, was taking steps and leaps that brought him really into the 21st century. I mean, this is a man at a time. He he's, has that insight like, like a Tesla. He's the Tesla of the solar world in that he could do everything with concentrated solar energy you'd ever want to do, from cooking your dinner to making ice to his incredible insight to actually produce electricity with concentrated solar energy using these thermoelectric devices you know, invented by Seebeck uh, some decades earlier. So here he's taking electricity. Then he's using that, as Michael Faraday pointed out, in a device he built called an electrolyzer which decomposes water, it disassociates the molecule of water into what water is made of, hydrogen and oxygen. Extremely powerful. Hydrogen fuel is, in fact, the most exothermic fuel known in the universe. I mean, if you made a list of all of the fuels, methane, propane, butane, kerosene, gasoline, everything you want, at the very top of the list, the most exothermic, the most power per unit mass, is going to be from hydrogen. So he's making the ultimate fuel from solar energy. Now this is a pretty revolutionary concept in 1874 to 1879, you know, and the 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 interests involved, the people that want to sell you the fish, well, they they weren't going to have much of this. So so two things happened to Macho. The first was the the war. Uh, That wiped everything out. He put it all back together. And then in 1879, 1880 into 1881, now just the beginning of the 1880s, the the French Academy uh, had one more look at solar energy, so to speak, and then completely dropped out. You know, something happened. Probably the interests of the railroad and the coal. Uh, influenced the academy to say, hey, drop this solar energy thing. He's trying to teach everyone how to fish. And uh, if you need any trouble deciding, here's a little pile of cash to, to help you out here. So so after 1881, Machot couldn't go any further. But what he did accomplish is he blazed the trail. He pointed the way. And he inspired a lot of of other pioneers who kind of took up the mantle of this solar industrialization possibility and what it would mean for everyone in the world. I mean, remember, of course, Europe was no stranger to war, bickering and and skirmishes and wars going on back and forth for hundreds of years, thousands if you want to be technical about it. So this was a big deal. Now, in America, in the 1870s and into the 1880s, inspired largely by my show, the mantle of solar industrialization was picked up again. And it was picked up by one pioneer called John Ericsson. And Captain Ericsson, he came from Sweden, but when he emigrated to the United States, he's a brilliant marine engineer. I mean, this is the guy who invented the, the propeller. The, the, so it made steam navigation possible. So he was, he was uh, world renowned. Now, John Erickson is amazing because he's the inventor and developer of the monitor. You remember the ironclad in, in the Civil War? And the ironclad, the, the monitor for the Union, went to war with the Merrimack for the South. And this was a big turning point in the war. It was late in the war, the South was desperate, but they came out with this super weapon. And their ironclad just, you know, decimated wooden ships at the time. You you could imagine the the cannoneers shooting their cannons and bouncing off and and looking at each other going, oh, uh, okay, and then they get splintered. So the monitor um, had all kinds of innovations. It had that uh, rotating turret, for example. It also sat very low in the water. Uh, so John Erickson is 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 brilliant, went through the war, probably saved the Union in the sense that had um, the Merrimack not been defeated and the South were able to build their fleet of ironclads, they could have sewn up all of the ports and possibly changed the outcome of the war. So, you know, John Erickson came from incredible practical engineering. And what John Erickson decided to do is take on the mantle. And as early as 1868, uh, he wrote a paper. And he was kind of pointing out that the development of solar technology uh, is the only way to avert a kind of a global energy crisis. And so he, he wrote about it. He said this uh, A great portion of our planet enjoys perpetual sunshine. The field, therefore, awaiting the application of the solar engine is almost beyond computation while the source of its power is boundless. Who can foresee what influence an inexhaustible mode of power will exercise on civilization and the capability of the earth to supply the wants of our race? Okay. So you can see Erickson is, he's into it. He and he is no wide-eyed wanderer. He is uh, a master engineer. And John Erickson was very much aware of Machot's work, no doubt inspired, and uh, began to kind of take up this idea of using concentrators, um, absorbers, or boilers, and being able to focus the sun's rays to very high power density. Now, if you're running a steam engine and you're in the 18th century, you know, you need about a thousand degrees Fahrenheit uh, to make that work. So that that's a big challenge for, for optics. Uh, especially with the kind of reflector technology they had to work with, which was really pretty much um, silver but silver polished silver was a little expensive it was hard to work with in the sense that it would tarnish a great deal in the in the environment so there were great challenges but Ericsson took this up now Ericsson comes from kind of a, a wide background of engineering, and he was he worked many years uh, in his youth on on external. Uh, combustion engines. And an external combustion engine, of course, the, the combustion is outside of the working cylinder, uh, internal we're all, we're all familiar with when it's inside the cylinder. Now, you know, a steam engine is an external uh, combustion machine. But Ericsson made some some built on the work of uh, the great uh, Reverend Sterling, the great Scotsman, and uh, was trying to develop a hot air engine And basically, the the principle is some source of heat, uh, coal or wood burning, or in this case, concentrated solar energy, Uh, Would cause air to heat up and expand, and that would push a piston down, and some valves would close and open up. And then colder air was allowed to rush in, kind of atmospheric air, to push back the piston. And this worked because it was kind of rigged to a flywheel, which kind of gave you the momentary inertia to make sure this piston going back was smooth. And if you had a source of heat, it would go, you know, it would kind of wind up and go, and the piston would go back and forth. It had a great little engine. So, Ericsson was a pioneer in, in this application and built some, some uh, hot air engines that are uh, solar-powered, which were quite impressive. And, uh, you know, he was ecstatic. He, he loved it. He, you know, he'd say, the world moves. I have this day seen a machine actuated by solar heat applied directly to atmospheric air. In less than two minutes after turning the reflector toward the sun, the engine was in operation. As a working model, I claim that it has never been equaled, while on account of its operating by the direct application of the sun's rays, it marks an era in the world's mechanical history. Okay. So, Erickson's pretty proud of himself, but he earned it, you know. He did quite a bit to, to advance this idea of concentrators. Now he looked at Machot's optical work, and instead of this conic inverted concentrator as Machot would do, he kind of developed the parabolic trough concentrator. And a parabolic trough was would allow you to kind of focus sunlight onto a line, and on that line, he would put a, a zinc pipe or other metal pipe, and the pipe would get very hot in the sun. But one of the uh, Erickson's great innovations was not only the shape of the optics, the geometric optics, but the materials that he used. He began to realize that if he could make a better reflector, it would add a great deal to making the economics on the front end work for his engine. So he took advantage of kind of the silver-backed plate glass that made a great concentrator, a great reflector, a great mirror, and he used those in his parabolic trough. And he was able to achieve, uh, because the trough had a, a less of a, of a concentration ratio, it didn't quite get up to his 1,000 degrees that he needed, but he kind of solved that issue by using kind of not a working fluid of water into steam, but rather this hot air engine. So Erickson was tremendous in making these little incremental steps um, that uh, he hoped would would bring the world into industrial prosperity, uh, equity, and peace for all people. Uh, But, you know, John Erickson uh, went through war. You know, the Civil War, he was a pioneer and saved the Union in in the naval sense. And uh, I'm sure that that took quite a toll on him, because he knows that the machines that he created uh, caused a lot of um, horrific death. So, he decided that he's going to take his talent and his brilliance and apply it to releasing the world from the the tyranny of fossil fuels and the conflicts and the natural incentive for wars that that inspired. So he was a great man in the sense that late in his life, he realized that there is a bold new future. And with the 20th century soon to dawn, he had great hope for the future of mankind, a future powered by the sun.